Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Hey everyone, thank you for being with me today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. I have a very special episode for you today. When I read Ania's story, I was compelled literally to have her come on the podcast. And as I always share with you, you know, the transitions that we experience in life, there are a variety of them that we encounter. But the ones that are the most difficult to process are always those transitions of loss. Ania's transition where she has suffered the loss of her health and how she has navigated to where she is and to what she is doing today will be an incredible inspiration to anyone who is coming in to listen. Ania would share with you, I have to live in a bubble and each day is a potential medical emergency, but I am still empowered. Ania lives with two primary invisible disabilities that are so rare that people don't even understand. She's allergic to more than she's not. And I'm going to have Ania talk more about what uh, the invisible disabilities are when she comes on with us. I can tell you this much. She's totally an empowered woman. Ania Khan is the CEO of Rise Visible. With 24 years in the field, she is a highly sought after digital marketer, strategist, public speaker, and digital influencer. Rise Visible has been named top ranking woman owned digital agency by Clutch, best SEO agency in Eugene, 2022 by Expertise, and is a certified disabled woman owned business. She is also an internationally recognized and awarded visual artist, photographer, and author who has shown in over 300 exhibitions in over 10 countries. She has founded Create for Healing, and she is also the host of our own podcast, Rise Above at Be Visible Podcast. Anya, welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast. I'm truly honored to have you here with us today. You just have this incredible medical story and a journey and as you know your invisible disabilities i know there's so much you could share and it's the power of your story when people hear the power of your story they can begin to even understand more of what you've gone through and the value of what you've created today so welcome welcome Oh, thank you. What an amazing introduction. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, that is who you are. <laughs> so tell us, take us through that part of your life. Because um, I know that had to be an incredible journey of just a dark time, a lot, a lot of trying to it was like a mystery for many years, wasn't it? It surely was. I mean, it was a mystery for almost 20 years. And through the through the journey, I mean, obviously, you know, my age had fluctuated as I grew grew el- grew older. Um so when it started, I was fairly young and by the time I got my first diagnosis, I was in my 40s. So it was a very different experience to be sick in your teens and 20s 
to be sick in your 30s and then also to be sick in your 40s and to still have no answers. And, you know, being somebody who is a a seeker and a learner, I had no problem trying to figure it out, you know, reading things and trying to figure out all the things that were going on. And I never was able to figure it out. And neither were the doctors. And the journey, I think the hardest part of the journey was when your friends and family stop believing you. When your mm-hmm. friends and family, because I mean, and I'm not judgmental on my friends or my family or anybody. I mean, going through a journey with an invisible illness that is rare, it's not so much so rare anymore. In the last couple of years, there's been some changes with a couple of my diseases that were now that people are getting diagnosed, a lot more people are getting a, getting the diagnosis. I mean, I've met three people in the last three years where I've sent them to doctors because they've mimicked a lot of my issues and maybe not to the extreme, but have also gotten diagnoses. So this is actually some of these, and I'll tell you a little bit more about those diseases later. But I think the hardest is when people don't believe you, when you actually have medical doctors, you have psychologists, you have your family, people that you love, people you're in relationships with, your your work, if you're working for somebody, just start to kind of look at you like you're a burden. And here we go again, because what you try to hold on to is an answer. And so there'll be moments in your life where you'll try something or something will help and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is the answer. I And then of course it doesn't work because my illnesses are very fleeting. That's one of the reasons why it's difficult for doctors to find it because it affects every organ and every part of my body. And sometimes one acts up and then by the time I see the doctor, it's not acting up anymore. <laughs> and oh, they're like, gosh. they're like, well, um, you look fine. I'm like, but I'm not. Um, So I think that's been the, the hardest and in an, in an extreme loss of relationships And, you know, as a person who has high integrity, who has high morals, who believes in vulnerability and truth, it's really hard when people just kind of look at you like you're crazy or doctors have yelled at me that I'm crazy and that I need to get into an eating disorder facility or I need to do this or I need to do that. And when you know yourself, I think the thing that kept me going is just knowing yourself. And sometimes as women or men, or it doesn't matter who you are, women are often overlooked with illnesses often, you know, more than men. That's their statistics to that because men don't go to doctors when they do it serious. <laughs> and women, you know, are often looked at like, you know, it's probably hormonal or it's whatever, you know, like women are hormonal and they have issues or women are going through things in life and women are more emotional. So doctors often overlook women's issues at times because we seem needy, yet there are reasons to pay attention, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody, if you're going to the doctor, this is what I tell people. If you have a problem and you're, you're going to a doctor, you're going to seek support. Even if there is nothing wrong with you, there's still something wrong with you. If you're feeling there's something wrong with you, People should take it seriously, even if it is nothing, maybe physical, maybe it's mental or whatever, like people should be taken seriously. But I also understand the medical aspects of having somebody seeking answers all the time and coming in and them not being able to find anything as much as I have had a lot of grief and and anger around the medical community where I feel like I've felt neglected and kind of overlooked or gaslighted over the years. 
I do at least, I do have enough diplomacy and enough understanding after all I've gone through to be able to look at the medical community and go, they have a lot to figure out. And complicated cases are overwhelming and complicated cases, it can be very stressful. I would never want to be a doctor. So, you know, I get it from both sides of it, but living it, of course, I have animosity and I have, I mean, I don't really live in that now, but there was a lot of challenges. And so the journey, the journey was tough. I would never want to go back and live it again. I would never, some of the moments I think about the extremes that I've experienced, the hundreds of hospital stays, there's, I'm just thankful I'm here right now. Like I'm almost in tears thinking about it. Like, I'm just thankful I'm here. Like I'm, and not everybody has this Debbie, not every, but not everybody. And most people don't get to recovery or maybe don't get an answer. The fact that I've been given kind of a second chance with the diagnosis and treatment that's actually propelled my health into a better space is not often what people get to experience. They often experience degeneration that continues and not that I'm not getting older and things won't progress and just life's going to happen, but I've got to kind of come back and almost be in a like rebirth in a way. And it's, it's a profound, profound experience. It sounds profound. I, I can just hear listening to you. There's so much you've learned not just about your physical thing that you were going through, but yourself as a person, because you had to dig deep. You had to believe in yourself because at that time, nobody believed in you. What you were experiencing was so rare that even the medical community couldn't find an answer. And there probably had to be times that you thought you were going crazy. And then when I think about all those years of being robbed, you know, being a teenager, when it's such a, a, a time of vibrancy, you were just trying to stay alive. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more with, with what you just said. I mean, I think the experience as an individual, just trying to stay alive is a really big deal. And to remember that you're not crazy. We're all a little crazy, right? We're all a little crazy. We're all a little neurotic. We all have our unique parts of us. But it did get to the point where I did sign myself into three different psychological um, spaces. So I first signed myself into our local hospital, into their psych department, because I finally was like, well, fine, if I'm crazy, sign me up. Like, I'm I'm self-aware enough to go like, Perhaps I don't know, you know, and I, I and I just signed my 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 life away, basically. Like when you sign yourself into the psych ward, like you don't get to go until they say you go. You don't get free will. Ooh. So, yeah, no free will. So it's a big decision to sign yourself into something like that because you lose total control. And I like control. So it's, you know, with my health, I like control. Um, and then <laughs> I- that didn't work. You know? Yeah, I can understand. Gosh, everything was out of control. You had to have find some kind of control. Totally. And that was that was probably the one of the most one of the most terrifying experiences of my life is making that choice to walk in those doors. 
I also, um, when that didn't work out and they let me out in like five days and they were like, you're fine. Like, obviously you don't have mental health problems. I mean, you do, but nothing that you need to be locked in a hospital for. Like, clearly this is, there's something else going on for you. And then I signed myself into two other treatment centers. So I signed myself into a PTSD eating disorder treatment center, even though I knew that the disorder of eating I had was not like bulimia or anorexia. It was like, I was afraid to eat because my throat was closing. I was afraid to eat because I would literally almost pass out after I'd eat something. I was having severe allergic reactions that they were basically telling me I was just having panic attacks. So there was no association with food when I would go to doctors. They just couldn't pinpoint the reactions because they would do allergy testing. And they're like, well, you're not reacting to like the pinpricks or whatever. Like, you know, we don't know. So I signed myself into two of those, one in Chicago and one in um, Kansas City, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And one was for eating disorder, um, PTSD, and the other one was for PTSD and the same thing. They both were. And one of those was, again, you have to kind of like give up your freedom. Like you can't, the doors are locked. You can't leave, you know, and I just, yeah. And I'm, listen, I'm claustrophobic. You know, I don't even like the doors in my house closed. Like if I'm in the bedroom, I don't want my door closed, like leave it open. Like I like freedom. So it was super challenging, but going back to what you said, I mean, those are examples of feeling crazy and being willing to accept that perhaps I am and seeking treatment for being crazy and then being released and saying like, no, that's really not what's happening. And we really can't do anything for you. Because really, it was around a lot of eating, and I couldn't even eat. So they're like, well, why are you here? And we need to try to train you to eat food. And I'm like, you know, like, they're trying to treat me like somebody with anorexia or bulimia, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than understanding that everything they put in front of me, I'm having a visceral reaction because I know it could cause heart palpitations, dizziness, you know, all of these things that are, you know, a form of anaphylaxis, even though it's, you know, minimal, because people don't know, you can go into anaphylaxis without it actually sending you to a hospital and you have to get an EpiPen. There's levels of anaphylaxis. There's levels of allergic reactions. And a lot of people have experienced their mouth swelling from eating something or their tongue swelling from eating something. And that's a low level reaction, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's extremes and I kind of lived in between them. So, you know, no one would know, but anyway, long story short. Yes. I definitely felt crazy. Yes. I signed myself into places and no, I would never want to experience that again. It was, it was very intense. And for a very long time without answers. I mean, just listening to you, you had to fear food because you, I mean, you talk about different fears in life. I can't even imagine wondering what will that piece of fruit do to me or what will that do to me? And just the fear of the reaction to your body, that's, that's overwhelming for me to even like embrace that because that's like a joy in life to eat, right? And that became, had to be a fear zone for you. It's so, survival too. You know, yeah. like food itself is what we need to survive. And if you're afraid of what you need to survive, that's terrifying. I mean, even now with where I'm at, you know, I still have, I mean, I can only eat 10 foods and I can only eat them in the same order every single day. And if I change that, or if a food that I have is not available, 
I can die. Like it's not, it's no joke. So when we have food shortages or, you know, maybe they don't have the avocado I need at the grocery store, we have to go hunt in our city to find it because I'm also not only is the reaction a problem, but I live on such limited food that my body needs every bit of that vitamins or the fat or whatever I'm getting. And if I don't, my body like freaks out. So I'm spending a lot of time paying attention to food, but I pay attention to more than that. Even something like taking a shower, I can't have the heat too hot and I can't be in it too long or I can have allergic reactions. So if I'm having a rough physical day, I have to decide if I can take a shower or not. So I have to do a lot of thinking from the beginning of waking up to everything I do from how I go outside Because if we're, you know, like right now we're coming into pollen season, well, that makes me much more reactive to other things. So now I have to be more careful, like what days I go out, how long I go out, what I do with my dogs. And if I'm feeling weird, right, do I need rescue medication? I mean, it's, it's very complex. I mean, granted, I've learned to live it and it's old hat for me. Like I can do it because it's become habit. But when I share it with people, I think the real interesting thing is just a piece of it, like you just said, just the food, like that sounds like exhausting. And I'm like, you know, it's every day is trying to find a way just to stay alive, just to keep myself balanced. And it's a full-time job before I even come in and do anything else. So what do you feel like by the end of the day? Are you just exhausted? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. So here's a really interesting thing about me. Although all of this is going on, one thing I possess is high energy and I don't know where it comes from because it's not like I'm getting great amounts of food. I mean, I sleep fairly well, but I'm also, I just, I know that I'm neurotypical and, or I'm, yeah, near, I near, is that right? Neurodivergent. I'm not neurotypical. I'm neurodivergent and I'm just understanding this. So that's why I'm kind of tripping up on my words because when I look at my illnesses, so I know nobody knows and no one's heard anything. You probably need to tell them. So yes. I, <laughs> that's probably, next. We just probably need to let that's them know. Next. That's next. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, within the diseases that I have, um, neurodivergency is common. And of course, in the public, neurodivergency is this big conversation. Everybody's neurodivergent. But there are legitimately people that have ADHD to the extreme level and people that have autism and these kinds of things that greatly affect them. And with my disorders, it is like very high to be on some type of spectrum. And I only learned in the last year, I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I spent a lot of my time. I got my first diagnosis in 18, 2018, my really big diagnosis in 2021. And we're in 2023 and I'm still going oh my God, I'm connecting the dots still right now. I still will, even today, just see something and go, oh, I didn't know that. Or a good example, which is kind of funny, is I wore army boots in high school. Like I just liked boots. Then all of a sudden, once I got my diagnosis, within about six months later, I went, I wore boots because my ankles weren't stable. I gravitated to wearing boots to create stability for me. And that's why I liked them. But I wasn't aware enough and because I was so young to understand why. It's like they're cool and they feel good, right? They, you know, and I'm not falling as much, but I'm not thinking that. So I have a lot of aha moments, a lot of like, oh my goodness. So back to the 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 neurodivergency. 
I, my partner will say, he works with me in my business, that I work kind of like a robot, that I just can task focus when I'm real focused and I can do a lot of stuff. And at the end of the day, he's more tired than I am, which oh, is wow. really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, there are moments now as I'm getting older, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my mid forties. So it's catching up with me with age. I'm definitely noticing midday. Like, is it, should I take a nap? <laughs> is, it, is it time to take an afternoon nap? Um, but I mean, I'm exhausted in my body more than I'm exhausted in my brain. So I have physical exhaustion. My body is exhausted you know, I need to rest. But at the end of the day, my brain is never exhausted. I mean, unless I really burn it out. I'm just always busy in the head, always something going on. And I like to be busy. And this is, you know, this is a defense mechanism. And I know that. So a lot of people don't understand that when people are ill or they're dealing with challenging things, being busy is a good distraction, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a, as long as you're not doing it to a detriment, right? Like anything that we do to help ourselves balance whatever we're dealing with, as long as we're not doing it negative, like, oh, I don't, you know, maybe I'm having a rough day. I'm going to go have a piece of cheesecake or I'm having a rough day. I'm going to eat three full cheesecakes and I'm going to throw up. There's a different story, <laughs> right? Like one's good, one's not. So I right. think that's probably where I kind of live is being busy and liking to do and accomplish and be busy because it keeps me out of my body. I don't, my body is not a place that I enjoy being. And I do have a fairly good relationship with it now that I know what's going on because it brought me back into it. Like, oh, I know rather than being constantly rejecting of it, like, I don't know what's wrong with you. You affect my life and this sucks, you know, like I don't want to have a relationship with you to knowing what's the damage and what's wrong and being connected, but I stay outside of my body often. I'm often in my head. I'm often very focused on goals. And I think that's where my success has actually come is my ability to kind of disconnect that. Not everybody can, you know, this is not really a skill. I think it's more of a, you know, a survival mechanism and not everybody can do that. So I don't, you know, want to say that and go like, you should live your life like this because you burn out too. Like it's not always the healthiest way to live. So yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. You're making me think of uh, a friend of mine. His name's Boomy, and he fell 15,000 feet mm. from, uh, he had a malfunction with his parachute. And he, mm. li he lived. My goodness. Hit the ground with his instructor on his back, but his, oh. his brain injury, um, the fact that he lived, the doctors never gave him hope. He lived, but, and he, to, to this day, like it's probably been about six years, he's in a wheelchair, but the way he lives his life, like as I'm listening to you, Ania, like you, you're focused in your brain, you're going to that saving grace that every day you can go to, to create, to be productive. Mm -hmm. And so the focus isn't on so much what's wrong, it's what mm -hmm. can I do? And that's to right. me, that's a powerful message. And that's what my friend does. Like listening to you and I listen to my friend, um, like I, it, it's inspiring because, you know, we could have a bad day and like, but you don't give up. And I don't see my friend giving up. He, he's, he's gone into marathons. He's learned to swim. Awesome. 
And so just, I'm just saying that to anyone who's listening, like in the darkness, there's always some light. It just needs to be found. And so you could thrive in that light. So I I just know everyone's listening. One wants to know what are the disabilities? Like if you could just give them the name. So, uh, because to me, it was too complex for me. (laughs) I I didn't want to mess it up. So I'm, I'm going to give that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do want to answer something real quick, though, because okay. you said what can you do? And I, and I want to say something about that because you're right. Because when I realized, for example, I couldn't wear any of my jewelry anymore, and this was years ago, and I wore jewelry on all fingers, I wore necklaces, I had earrings, I had piercings, like I was very jewelry oriented. And this disease and the diseases, well, I'll tell you in a minute, we're not trying to keep you hanging. This is just an important story. Um, (laughs) Stay um, with us, I promise. (laughs) That's right. Just stick around. Um, Is I had to kind of shift my identity. So I couldn't dye my hair anymore. I couldn't wear makeup anymore. I couldn't wear jewelry anymore. I mean, all the things that I, that felt identity. And I was very strong as a person growing up to really... My identity was very important to me. Some people doesn't matter, but for me, it was. I grew up in a very challenging um, home environment and I was bullied really heavily and my identity meant a lot to me. And so to like lose all of that, lose the style of makeup, lose the jewelry that I could wear. And I remember one day I was sitting there and I thought, what can I do? Like, what can I do? Why am I looking at all the what I can't? Because that's what I was doing. I was like, what can I, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I decided to dump all of my jewelry into a box and I put it away. I don't want to look at it. If I can't do it, I want to look at it. Who wants to look at things you can't, can't enjoy, right? Or maybe down the road, I, I hung some pieces up around my house because they had, you know, meaning to them. And I went on Etsy and I found beautiful jewelry that was made with, hemp or it was made with beads or it was made in alternatives where metal wasn't touching me. And then I had different people make me necklaces where they had a hook on the bottom where I could take some of the the pendants that were metal and I could still wear them on the beaded chain. Ah, great. Yeah. So it was like, what what can you do? And even in the public going out, I don't shake hands. Oh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, you know, (laughs) and I did it before COVID, right? Because I was wearing a mask before COVID, but I always said, what do I do? And so now I just say, hey, let's do an elbow bump. So I think asking what you can do helps you really live your life. Okay, now to the diseases. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I have mast cell activation syndrome. I have post-orthostatic tachycardia and I have dysautonomia. And the real... (laughs) I was going to say, now you all know why I didn't even give it a try. <laughs> oh, my. And, you know, and I, I still pronounce, mispronounce them. So, you know, it's a thing. Some people say Ehlers. Some people say Eller. You know, it's they're not easy names. But to, the real basic way to explain all of them independently, but as quickly as we can so we're not boring you, is Ehlers-Danlos is a connective tissue disorder. So anything in your body that's connective tissue, which is pretty much everything, your ligaments, your tendons, your organs, all of that, the collagen is faulty. So it basically means you'll see people that are hypermobile, meaning they can, you know, bend their fingers back or whatever. There's two different types of people. There are people that are flexible and that's okay. Like we see ballerinas and dancers and people that are flexible. That's good. 
Hypermobile means that when you're doing that, you're damaging it. If you push or pull, your body is actually tearing. So people with it really extreme can just lean over and pick something up and tear their completely their shoulder. I could, I mean, I'm not this severe, but I could pick up a cup off my desk and the joint in my wrist will come out. People will have it. I mean, you know, people will have it where their, their heart valves don't work. They're, you know, this is where all my allergies come in. So um, because all of the dismobility through my whole digestive tract, because nothing works because it's all connective tissue, food gets caught. And then also um, with cranial instability, where my head is unstable and it's pressing on my um, brainstem, this is where you start getting allergic reactions. This is where you start having these types of issues where your body's attacking itself. And so mast cell activation disorder, your mast cells are supposed to protect you. So if you get stung by a bee, they're going to come in, they're going to produce histamines, and they're going to protect you. Well, mine thinks everything is a problem. (laughs) It's like, oh, did you walk outside and breathe air you haven't took a breath of two days? Well, that's new, and we don't like it. So. Mm. So it just, it, it basically thinks everything is an emergency. So these cells in your body, which are everywhere, they're in your skin, they're in your digestion, they're everywhere in your body will just react and they will just send off all these signals and they can send out 200 different mediators, which affects your hormones. It affects your heart rate. It creates, it just creates, it's, it's creates havoc. And then post-orthostatic tachycardia is if I lean over, well, I'm going to skip that because I'm going to go to dysautonomia because post-orthostatic tachycardia is part of that. So dysautonomia is an autonomic nervous system dysregulation. So which that means is when you breathe normally or your heart rate decides that it's going to shift because you decided to run up a flight of stairs or your temperature will fluctuate because the house got too hot and your body will start sweating to cool you down. None of those things work for me. Oh my. So <laughs> if I lean over, my heart rate might go up to 160 just from leaning over and I might pass out. Or taking a shower, if I'm in there too long, my body will not change. And I have to make sure I cool down my body because my body can't re-regulate itself or I'll be hot for the rest of the day. Oh, and I'm wow. just sweating. So, and that's part of the heart thing. So the post-orthostatic tachycardia is a part of dysautonomia. It's part of the dysregulation. So, and there's a bunch of other little nonsense we won't talk about, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun experience. <laughs> and she's smiling. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because you've got to laugh. I mean, well, like, you, do. you just got to laugh. Like there's no choice. Like oh laughing. Gosh. Well, you know, I love that word choice. So I have like two, two thoughts here. So I have this quote and I thought of you because I was reading your story and of course, just listening to you. And I love this quote because it makes me think of you. And it's by Albert Camus. In the middle of winter, I at last discovered that there was in me an invincible summer. Spring. Oh, it's summer. summer. Okay. I was thinking it's spring. Yeah. You're right. It's like, so, you know, you the winters of life, the, that season, and that you just knew that inside of you, there's something invincible, and you never gave, gave up seeking for that. And I know earlier, you said something about being thankful, uh, just being alive, you know, the gratitude 
part of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that has to be difficult to come to that place, especially when we experience any kind of loss, like gratitude, like how does that help, right? But it's probably one of the healthiest emotions that we can have. So can you just share maybe how gratitude, how that has even been able to enter your heart and how it plays out in your life today? I think, you know, when when people don't go through something like this, sometimes it's hard to find a place of gratitude in life, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's hard to think about being grateful when you haven't experienced uh, great um, challenges, for example. Like you're not really thankful for the food you have until you're homeless on the street and then someone helps you and then you get food again, right? True. So gratitude, I think, is often born through our most challenging moments. And it would be great if it wasn't. It'd be great if we're just grateful for everything, right? <laughs> All the time, like we're just grateful. And I I live in that because I don't have a choice. I just like, for a good example, I walked into the bathroom about a year ago, maybe it's longer. And I really noticed the gray hair that I have, right? And at first out of my mouth was, I don't want to get older. And then I immediately retracted that. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm so grateful to be here. And I actually got tears in my eyes when I thought, I'm seeing gray hair. I never thought that I would ever see this. So I think living in gratitude is just an automatic for me. And I don't know if if there was something in my, my family dynamics or somebody who had touched my life that maybe planted that seed. But for me, I just can't not live in it. Like I will stand in my house and I'll go, this is my house. I own a business. Holy crap. (laughs) You know, so I I think it's that discovery regularly. And and it comes probably from that rebirth that not a lot of people get to experience that, that, that coming of age of 20 years of just completely trashing and going down to nothingness Mm -hmm. to, you know, when I first got on the feeding tube formula with no diagnosis, it actually started to propel my health up by getting on, you know, the feeding tube formula. And that was 2012. And I was on it for three and a half years. Right. Oh, okay. You're looking at 12, 13, 14, you know, around 15. And every year since, you know, it's been a healing process. Every year has had progression in that direction. And obviously a very extreme change in 18, when I got the first diagnosis of mast cell, which they gave me medication instead of having three to five allergic reactions a day, I went down to having three to five a month, which changed everything in my body. Uh, Yeah. I gained uh, 30 pounds, which was amazing. (laughs) which is great because I've been underweight my whole life. And when I go to the doctor, when I stand on the scale and I feel thankful, they're like, how much weight did you lose? And I'm like, no, I gained 30 pounds. And they like, kind of look at me. I was like, you don't understand the life I live. People don't get like, I, I'm, I like jiggle my belly and run around the house. I'm like, look, <laughs> I got the weight. I've got it. Because when you're sick, you need that. And that's something that people don't understand. You actually need meat on your body to fight when people have cancer or they go through surgery or they have something. And as women, we're so focused on being skinny when actually 
it's not about that. It's about being healthy, right? Uh, amen. Health. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So let me, um, so I love, and I want to get into now, like what it is your business, because it's incredible what you've created and how you're helping other people. So I love your name, Rise Visible. And I want, I mean, it's obvious the name, but I'd just love to hear your heart behind choosing that name. And I want to hear about the project that you created. It's a, we are not invisible project. Sure. So Rise Visible, the name actually came last year. So I was using a different name and I had been using it for years. It was kind of hard to say, and my name's already hard to say. So, you know, as a branding expert, I can't really have a name that's hard to say. And also I didn't feel that the name was exactly the way I wanted it. It was unique and fun and I loved it. But through the rebirth of myself and getting that diagnosis last year, I knew I was ready, not last year, but 2021, May of 2021, I knew that I wanted to also reinvent my business because I had the energy and the ability to scale rather than just pay my bills and hope that I could stay afloat. I was looking at changing that and being able to scale, bringing my partner into the business and other things like that. So we sat down and we're like, well, what's the objective here of the name? And one of the things that we stand by as a business, you know, we're, we're a web design and digital marketing agency. What we really stand behind is bringing visibility and also me stepping into uh, not hiding behind my disability. And I did for years, you know, being in a male dominated industry, I kept that quiet. And at times I didn't even show pictures of myself, right? Because I just didn't put it out there that I was a female in tech. And in this rebirth of the business, I thought, you know what, here's how it's going to be. I'm going to put my face out there. I don't care if I don't like how I look. I'm just saying that because a lot of women and a lot of people have, have issues with how they look. We all do, you know, unless you're, you know, an egocentric person or you, you got the gene lottery or something, you know? (laughs) No, what Um, you're saying is true. We all have that insecurity. Sure. Yeah. And it's okay to be, you know, insecure. No problem. We work through that. But then also being honest in my business through our, you know, our bio and everything and getting certified as a disabled owned business. I was like, you know what? Here's the thing. I don't care if you don't like it anymore. Like I don't, this is who I am. And I've been trying to run away from this part of my identity for 20 years. Mm. I've been trying to avoid being the sick person. I mean, if you Google, Google my name, Because, you know, I'm also, like you had mentioned, an internationally renowned artist. You Google my name. I'm sure everybody has seen those skits where they'll have famous people. And if you put in their name, they'll give you the predictive text. Like, you know, so-and-so and and their baby's mama or so-and-so. And and like the the hot topics that people search. And the first thing that comes up is Anya Khan. If you type it in, the first predictive result is illness. And it used to upset me. But you know what? I'm like, listen, this is who I am. I can't change it. I just can't. Like, there's no way for me to change this. And the more that I reject who I am and the more that I hide who I am, it's a disservice to me as a person. And you know what? The people who see it, I always talk about vulnerability and authenticity, yet I'm not living it. Like, that's baloney, right? Like, right. you can't preach that to you know my clients. Like, you have to be this way if I'm not. So that's where the name came. It came from looking at disability as a part of our brand, 
and being a woman in tech and then how to gain visibility because the reason I got into technology wasn't because, oh, this was amazing and interesting. It was because I was housebound and I, and I had no ability to connect with the real world. You know, like people say technology is bad or all of that, but there's so many really good components, even with AI, but we won't get into that. There's always good and bad with everything Mm -hmm. and how you use it. If technology did not exist, I would not have a career. If technology did not exist, I would not have friends all over the world. It was a window to the outside world. I didn't have the ability to really go places or do things. So rise visible, being visible, being able to support people in that visibility is so important. We want to be seen. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. That's all we want. Even just in our own relationships, we just want to be seen and heard. Just see me and hear me. You don't have to agree with me. Just hear me. I'm speaking, right? And I feel like my whole life I was speaking and nobody flip and listen to me. Nobody listened. No matter how many times I banged on the door, I just spoke from my heart. No matter how many, how much vulnerability I provided, no one was listening. Mm. And so Rise Visible, that's kind of where the name came from. I know it was a long story, but no, no, no. Because no. I, I knew it had a meaning. Anytime you name something, like there's a deep meaning behind that. And I, I just knew there had to be something really special. And I do believe everyone needs to be heard and valued and celebrated and known. I mean, that's just how we're wired to be. And even if we don't understand, still listen. That's the greatest gift that you could give someone. Just listen and say, I may not understand, but I'll listen. I mean, because if you feel heard, that's half the battle right there. Absolutely. and when I think of, uh, like you were saying, you know, your name is illness, but it, what I, so in for me, I, I look at you and I see victory and I look oh. at I, you, I look at you and I see strength and I see courage. Like, I don't even think illness. I'm more, I'm more inspired that in spite of the illness you have created this incredible business. And it's not. Uh, just about you. It's about other people as well. You're helping other people rise and be visible. And if you want to, just what do you want to share about? Because you have so much going on. You've got the Create for Healing. You have your artwork. I love that you, like you said, your brain just kept going. So you tapped into your creativity. You found things that about you that uh, you didn't let go dormant because of an illness. And so I, I just want to give you the floor. How, how, what would you like to talk about what you're doing? I know I asked about the uh, We Are Not Invisible project, but gosh, girl, you've got a lot going on. So, <laughs> so I will say that we not, We're Not Invisible project is something I was a part of. I didn't start. So okay. that's the Prevention Magazine. And they chose eight of us to highlight during Invisible Disabilities um, Month, which was a week, week. Yeah, not month, week. And that was just remarkable um, to be able to be a part of that. They did send out um, photographers to do different things for people. And since I was a photographer, that's part of what I do. Mm -hmm. I asked them if I could do my own and they did. So they got to feature, you know, my photography of myself and 
it was interesting because I got to hold up a sign that had my illnesses in it, in my environment. And I live in a really ridiculously unique and crazy home because I'm here all the time, right? Like I don't like bland and my home is like a museum. So I have on my art website, I have this thing called like the garden house. And if you look up there, you can see the studio and parts of my home because it's an extension of my creativity, an extension of who I am. Um, But the other really interesting thing, and, and this may help people, is for years I was a digital artist. So now we're living in a day and age of NFTs and AI and all of that. And Mm -hmm. back in 2005, when I started doing art, I was doing it digitally, digital painting, photo collage and all of that, because I couldn't touch anything, right? Like I was allergic to everything. Like it could send, like picking up a a paint could send me to the hospital, like not going to do it. So again, digitally, I went ahead and I moved into something that I could do. Like, what can I do, right? I want to be creative and I'm going to do this. And with my diagnosis and medication in the last two years, I've been able to touch real things like real pain. Oh my word. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yes. It's, it's just an amazing thing. So, you know, I'm tactile. I'm a tactile person. I want to hug you and you know, that kind of stuff. I want to touch my things and it's not the same when you're using a mouse. It's just not, I mean, granted, I'm thankful very thankful. Like, I'm so glad that I have that had that technology. And it also informed a lot of my business from the graphic design and branding aspects of what we do in, in my agency. Um, but being able, I started with colored pencil because it was a dry medium, right? And then moved into watercolor, which is the, the least uh, offensive of all of the paints and have been able to move into other things. And my work has changed my relationship with my artist changed. Again, my art was a lot about survival. It talked a lot over the years and the early stages of challenging topics, very dark topics. And now it's kind of moved into more colorful storytelling. And it's just great. And now I have an addiction to art supplies. It's a problem. <laughs> you know, like you got, you have an artist, somebody who's been doing art for 20 years. And you think about somebody who can buy stuff, Right. So over 20 years, you're collecting this paint, you're collecting these paintbrushes. And this is the metaphor I tell people. I'm like, think about eating a salad every day. And like everybody around you is eating like, I don't know, cake and cookies and pizza. You can't do it. And you're eating that salad. And all of a sudden you get the free for all. Like, well, you can have that donut, but only the donut. I mean, you're going to like want to eat 80 of those donuts. Like it's going to be hard for you to titrate, you know, your enthusiasm (laughs) around (laughs) moving into that. So I've, you know, I've acquired a bit of a addiction to art supplies, but it's been fun. I've been doing videos, sharing that with people, sharing that journey with people of, you know, exploring those things and and being more in with my art in a different way. So my art also was a really career focused thing for years, really Mm -hmm. driven by wanting to be in galleries and um, people don't know this, that maybe aren't art people or aren't actually doing it professionally. When you work with galleries, they're very specific about what they want, right? Like if you have a style, they expect you to have that style. So if you work in a solo show or you work in a group show, they expect you to, if you're a, you know, a landscape painter and you paint in these certain types of style, then they would expect that from you. And so once I started getting into the mediums, I had to learn everything over again, right? So it was really challenging. And I thought I was going to keep it secret. 
And so I thought, nah, I'm not going to. So I did a project two years ago in the early stages, and I called it the portrait project. And I asked people to submit their photo for an opportunity for me to paint them. And then I would send them the paint. It was only like a six by eight. It wasn't a big one. I'd send them the painting for free. And I did it for about six months. And I learned a lot. And I also involved a lot of stories. There were people in wheelchairs. There were people with feeding tubes. There were people, you know, that had sent pictures of loved ones that that had lost. And so I got to, and also it was different ages and different races and different genders. And so I tried to make sure that, you know, that that was, um, you know, how it was presented. It was really mostly random choices, but often mm-hmm. seemed to kind of bring in the best because when you have people looking for portraits, it's often people who are sick, lost somebody, going through identity. It's, you know, there's always seems to be, there wasn't a lot of vanity. There was a handful of people that were saying, oh, I just want you to paint a picture of me for vanity. But it often seemed that there was a lot more of heart behind some of the requests. And it was just a magical, magical time. And now the galleries that I've worked with over the years have accepted like my new work. And so that's been great because I thought, well, they're probably going to reject me. And then I would share really crappy work on my Facebook page. I have about, you know, 400,000 people who follow me on my art page. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna be vulnerable. I'm gonna show the crap. I'm gonna show what's sucking. And it seemed to really help the people on my uh, page, because every Friday, we also do, I don't just dedicate my Facebook page to me, because I have such a large following. On Friday, we do a an art share Friday. So everybody comes in, and I allow people to share their art on my page and connect with people. So it's, it's just art and all the things are a way again for me to find community, for me to be able to participate in the world in a way that I can't, unlike other people can. I love that you allow them to come in and share their art. And I consistently hear this same theme with you, that it's not about you. It's always about others. Think about that. You are looking for ways to help other people rise because even in your art, like knowing that someone would resonate with with that art, with, you know, the people with the feeding tubes, like people can resonate because that's reality mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And so anyway, I just love your heart and how you're thinking of others as you're building, creating, and you have this fabulous business. And I know, uh, I know we're getting short on time here, but What would you share with someone who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur? Because you had you had to start um, out of necessity is like so. What would you share to us? Inspire the entrepreneur that wants to start. And then my final question to you would be: I would love for you to end the podcast speaking to those that are. plagued with something that's preventing them to from really being able to see hope from being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel they just need to know that all things are possible they need to know that there there's something for them to do so i am gonna give you the floor for those last two questions all right so i lost the first question because i got Ah! the next one Tell okay. me the first one real uh, quick. Just some real quick advice to any entrepreneur oh, entrepreneurs. Yes. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you. All right. 
I got, you got me thinking. I was like, oh, that's, that's a really deep question. Okay. So entrepreneurship, the way that it came for me was obviously, like you said, through necessity. I'd always had the gene though. Like I was a little kid. I just have to say this. I have a picture of myself sitting at my grandma's table with a telephone hand in, you know, pencil in hand and a stack of old wallpaper books because I was apparently an interior designer, you know, and I was taking the orders. So I've always had that kind of in me mm-hmm. and through the jobs that I've worked. I've, I've definitely not like to be told what to do. <laughs> so I'm like, no, do my own thing. But people that are aspiring to do that, entrepreneurship is really hard. And that's the thing that often people will say to me that I, the friends and people I know like, Oh, you know, I work for the man or the woman or whoever, the corporation and, or the small business. And I just feel like if I could work my own, I could just do what I want to do. And the one thing that I've learned through entrepreneurship is you will work harder than you will if you are working for somebody, but the work that you will do perhaps might be more fulfilling. So it will be worth it for you to invest more time because it's really your baby, your, your thing. But there's a lot of work, a lot of dedication. I I'll be really honest with you. There's been moments in my life where I've really considered going back into the workforce and trying to be a part of something else because it can get hard. I love what I do. I love all the projects I do. I love my business. I love Crate for Healing. I love all of the things, but it's a lot to be an entrepreneur. You are the everything. You're the touch point. You're the face. Anything and everything you do, you're responsible for. You're responsible for every word, every interaction. It's a lot of responsibility. So what I tell people is if they really do aspire to be an entrepreneur, learn about all of those challenges alongside of all the benefits, because we always want to look at the benefits, like everything looks greener on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, all that looks great. But if you can look at the challenges, then you're not going to be shocked when you step into that right? Like you want to be prepared. And obviously with my illness, I'm the queen of being prepared, (laughs) like got to be prepared. Um, Entrepreneurship is the greatest gift that I've ever had to be able to retain autonomy and the ability to take care of myself. At times it makes me sleepy. (laughs) I bet it does. So am I. Um, So I think, I mean, truly, The last part of that is never don't go after something because of fear. Even if it does look challenging, you can always change your mind. And I'm a calculated risk taker, although I have to be very careful with everything. There's a lot of parts of my life that I will just do it and I'll just go for it because I'm ready. I'm just ready for the rejection. I'm ready for somebody to go like, no, so I can do something else. The more no's I get, the more it pushes me in the direction I want to go. So I always encourage people to take that risk. Remember, you can always change your mind. Nothing is set in stone. It's true. Right? Mm -hmm. You can always open a business. You know what? You fail, you go get a job. That's okay. You tried it, right? Life is too short not to do and go for everything that you want in life, even if it comes against a failure. Failure is still a victory because you did something that most people probably wouldn't do because of fear. 
And we learn so much in our failures. And I think if people can, like you were saying, don't be afraid to fail because that's our opportunity to learn more. Like we learn as we fail, at least we should, instead of like <laughs> like giving up. I know one of the things that I did um, when I stepped into the entrepreneurial world, um, I had a community. And so every week I have this mastermind group where all entrepreneurs, different ages, different businesses, but we inspire one another. We provoke one another to like, we are accountable to one another to show up each week and share our challenges, share what's going great and ask for advice. And I've been in this community for two years and it's been a life source. So I would also say get in a community. We all just meet on zoom and, you know, I, I've done more because I knew I was accountable to somebody, you know, to say, yes, I wrote that course. Yes, I got the next chapter done or whatever. So, yeah. but, and then why don't you close this out and speak to the heart of the one who's just feeling helpless or hopeless, or instead of looking at possibility, they're looking at what they cannot do, like you shared earlier. Um like that word how to me is like an possibility thinking it opens doors to what is possible. So I know there's people listening right now that are just discouraged. So if you could just speak into that, um, I would, I would just so value your words. Sure. So I think the thing that impacted me the most and the thing I'd love to share is how we create our reality with our mindset. But I also want to speak to toxic positivity because there's this aspect of life where we'll look in the bright side and everything is positive and you'll get over it. And I'm a realist. Life's hard. And if you're going through a rough time, it's okay to be down in the dumps. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay. All of the emotions, the wide range of emotions are what make us human and what make us real. And in the Western culture and a lot of other cultures, we've suppressed that and made it like, you must be happy and and, and everything's going to be okay. And are those really great things to lean into? For sure they are. But you have to be ready for that. You have to be in that mind frame, that mindset, or you have to be ready for it. And I think that if we can learn to do this kind of balancing rather than it's polar, you're either okay or you're not, you know, you're either someone has passed away and you're just falling apart or you have to put on a face and you're totally fine. You know, we live in these polars. Mm -hmm. It's okay to live in between. It's okay to one minute feel really depressed about your life, which I live in sometimes. And 20 minutes later go, it's pretty good. I'm all right with that. You know, mm-hmm. people hear my story and they hear other stories. And it's often, you know, that that positive spin, which I think is great. I think it's so enormously impactful to see people who struggle, overcome, survive, or just maintain. And I live by watching stories like that, other people's survival, other people's tenacity, right? Like those things keep me going. So I think they're important, but also understanding that there's a real aspect of sitting in the shower and crying. And you know what? That's okay too. 
And you know what? If you're having a really bad week and everything sucks and you're just pissed off, that's okay too. You just got to get back up. I live by the quote of fall down seven times, get up eight. It's a Japanese proverb. You're going to fall down. You're going to get up in the dumps. And I I grew up in a home where it was like, just put your big girl pants on. And you know what? I lived a life of kind of just being able to not feel and not feel those challenging things. It's fine. I'm good. I'm fine. No problem. Everything's okay. I'm just putting my girl, big girl pants on. I'm just going to saunter through it. That stuff will come and bite you in the butt later. Right? So So true. So if you're able to be in that moment when you're having a rough time and just feel it and accept it and move through it and then come to a better space and be happy there. And then you're going to revisit it again. I think the last part of that too, I know it's kind of long, but I think it's, it, it's just, these are things that profoundly changed me. I grew up in an environment where everything was really good or everything was really bad, right? Like, oh, I, I snagged my pantyhose and now the whole entire day is sucky, right? Like just very, again, polar thinking. And I think just being in that ebb and flow of life, it's okay. I snag this. Who cares? I snag this. I'm kind of angry about it. And you know what? It's okay. I could be angry about it. Being okay to just be yourself. We need to be human. So if you're in a really rough spot and that's where you are, that's okay. And I invite you to come back up when you're ready. I invite you to join in the light moments, the positive moments when you feel that you are ready. No one's going to force you. That's kind of how I feel about it. No, I love that. We fall down seven and we rise up on eight. And I so agree with you because our emotions are messengers and they speak to us and they reveal things. Um, They alert us about things. So if we don't listen to those times when we're frustrated or sad or like we don't really understand what's going on, if we push it aside and just want to just put on that happy face, actually we're not growing. We're not maturing emotionally because we have to be real with the emotions that we have and not stay there. Like, okay, give, give yourself some time, give yourself permission to be angry, sad, or frustrated, but don't stay there because there is something on the other side. And that's where your life is. That's where your passion is. And sometimes these, I, I love that. I, I heard someone the other day and she was talking about that toxic uh, positivity. And I believe she said something to the effect like hard times are the con- is the contract that we've made with life. Life will have hard times. We're not exempt from it. It's how we respond. What do we do with it? What can we make out of that hard time? Because you never know the beauty that can come out of the ashes. Mm-hmm. And so, Anya, I am so honored to have met you, to get to spend this time with you. I love your heart. I love your message. I love what you're doing in the business realm. Uh, highly recommend. Gosh, if you're looking for someone, digital websites, all of that, like this is the girl. I'm telling you, she's got it. An incredible business. And she's also got the heart behind it and the passion to see you rise as well. And so I want to thank all of you for coming. You do each week as my transition tribe, where we learn to embrace, grow, and be transformed 
by the purpose and power of our transitions. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge Podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A.com.